One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot maybe your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you feel like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh, every step feels fly. When it comes to style and luxury, eBay gets it. They're making sure the things you love are checked by experts. And not just any experts, specialised experts. Real people who love this stuff, with real, hands-on authentication experience. So when you see that shiny blue check mark that says authenticity guarantee, shop with confidence. Every inch, stitch, sole and logo is verified authentic through a detailed inspection. That's how you know that eBay's got your back. Because when you finally step into those sneakers, put on that watch, get your real gold glow up, swing that handbag over your shoulder or step out in that streetwear, you'll realise that feeling is unlike any other. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. You know that's the sound of another sale on your online Shopify store. But did you know Shopify powers selling in person too? That's right. Shopify is the sound of selling everywhere. Online, in-store, on social media, and beyond. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash BOF, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash BOF to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash BOF. Hi, this is Imran Ahmed, founder and CEO of The Business of Fashion. Welcome to the BOF podcast. It's Friday, November 5th. Last week, we were proud to release episode three of The BOF Show, a new immersive video series now streaming on Bloomberg Quick Take. Episode 3 features a longtime friend and ally of BOF, Sinead Burke. 
Sinead and I reminisced about her fashion journey, which started at BOF's annual gathering for big thinkers, Voices, back in 2017. Now Sinead advises fashion brands around the world through her consultancy, Tilt the Lens, and we examine how her mission to make fashion more accessible has changed. To watch the latest episode of the BOF show, please find the link in our episode notes. Now, here's my full interview with Sinead Burke, exclusively on the BOF podcast. Good morning. Morning. How are you? I'm good. What a treat this is to be here with you in London after such a long time. When you meet someone now, how do you describe who you are and what you do? It's funny. I think if we were having this conversation five years ago, I probably would have described myself first because of my visual identity in the sense that I have dwarfism, that I'm a little person, I'm a disabled woman. And whilst I still use that language and feel real pride talking about myself as being disabled and a disabled woman, I probably talk about my interests and my work more now. Not because those aren't defined by my disability, but because they are. I have a background in education and still believe that education and advocacy are the tools and the ways in which we change the world. But my work is no longer in the classroom, but a part of the fashion system. And that's mostly because growing up, I understood that when people looked at me, they had assumptions over what I could or couldn't do based on my aesthetic. And I knew within my own instincts that fashion had this power to tell a new story, one that I had agency over, which is the reason why I'm wearing a green rustly suit and a pink silk shirt, because I'm giving you permission to enter into my world, to learn who I am. And yet despite knowing the power of fashion to do that, I never felt represented or seen or able to buy the clothes that I felt comfortable in. Mm -hmm. And I think when we first met five years ago, my vision for success was about visibility and representation. And in some ways it still is, but not necessarily representation in a public way, but having access, power, and being positioned at tables where decisions are made in order to change the system. So let's rewind Mm. back before you and I met. Yeah. What was your relationship with fashion then? And where did your interest in fashion come from? I remember my mother giving me some great advice when I was a teenager. And I think it was born out of me feeling really frustrated because I'm the eldest of five children. I have three sisters and one brother. My siblings are non-disabled. They are not little people like me. They are average height like most other people. And I remember feeling excluded by the fact that my sisters in particular could buy and access the clothes that I wanted and I couldn't. And I remember my mother saying to me, wear what suits you. Don't wear what you like. And at the time I took it to heart. But reflecting back now, almost a decade later, I think in some ways she was trying to protect me because what I liked wasn't available. And she was just trying to make me feel a confidence in a system that wasn't designed for me. But my interest came about through education. Because I couldn't access the parts of the fashion industry that my sisters could, I understood that I could learn about it. Mm -hmm. So I used to sit every evening around the dining room table and say to my parents and my siblings, what do you think of Marco Gabetti moving from Burberry to Ferragamo? Isn't that an interesting point, particularly post-Brexit? I mean, there was such a furore when he joined Burberry, a British heritage brand. 
I know he's going back to be closer to his family, but what does it mean for mm -hmm. him to go back for a family-owned business? And my family are wonderful, and there is no offence meant to Mr. Gabetti, but they don't know who he is, nor do they care. <laughs> and nobody that I was surrounded by at the time had an interest in the same way that I did. And it was fueled by that exclusion and by that lack of a sense of belonging. And my way into it was learning everything I could. So how did you learn about the industry? The internet. It was this vast library that I had unlimited access to. And whether that was articles in the New York Times, the Washington Post, the business of fashion, blogs that existed at the time that were about the fashion system, I read everything I could. I read the Financial Times, just like a very small section of it that was about the system of fashion. It was all-encompassing. And as I began to have more and more conversations with people who were less and less interested, I needed an outlet. So I started a blog that had a terrible name. Mini Melange. Well, before that, it was called Film, Fashion and Pop Culture. Oh, there I didn't you are even now. know that. <laughs> and it was called that because it felt instrumental to what it would be about. And the internet became a safe space for me, which is interesting reflecting back decades later when the internet is not a safe space for so many. Mm -hmm. But it was a place where it didn't matter what I looked like. My disability was almost irrelevant because I was writing about the things that I was interested in, not necessarily explicitly shaped by my disability, and began to find similar-minded people who had the very same interest. And it didn't matter what distance there was between us in terms of geography or time zones, it was transformative. Hmm. And that began my advocacy in a way that I could not have predicted what would happen in the years to come. And you mentioned Mini Melange. The reason where that name came from was because that notion of exclusion has been indelible to my experience in every asset. I remember when I was training to be a teacher in university going out at night was a real challenge for me personally. I would experience all sorts in nightclubs of people just behaving really horrendously because they could. Yeah. And I remember going to my first ever gay bar and I remember Vogue's Madonna playing. And I know the whole choreography, I'm not gonna show you, but I know the whole choreography and the lyrics, see? And I really wanted to get up and dance and I was worried that people would point, stare, laugh and make fun. But I got up and danced. And nobody cared. Because in that space, everybody was different. And everybody had been made to feel different at one point in their lives. And I had never felt more myself mm -hmm. or permission to be myself. And found real home in the queer community in Ireland. When did you first, the same way that you felt mm. in that gay bar in Ireland, and you could be yourself, when did you first feel seen in that way by the fashion industry? It's challenging to answer that because I think the immediate answer that comes to mind is that I felt seen standing on the stage at Voices in 2017. But I felt observed mm -hmm. rather than seen. I felt an expectation to prove not just myself, but the value of including disabled people. And I understand that I can only speak for myself and do. I do not represent the entire disabled community, nor could I as much as we try to have conversations around intersectionality. But I remember standing on that stage. I remember looking out into the audience and looking at Tim Blanks and Corrine Rothfeld in the front row. They were two people that I had known as almost caricatures for my whole life. 
you know that moment where you're like, I can't actually believe that that's a real person because I've just heard of them as if they're a character mm-hmm. in a storybook. And they were there. And I was telling them, as a system, them being almost representative of the industry, that they weren't doing enough. Mm-hmm. That they hadn't ever thought of disabled people in any part of the system. And that they must and they needed to. And I was the person to teach them how to do it. I mean, the audacity, frankly. But I was really nervous. I was wearing the most amazing, almost armor-esque, navy Burberry jacket that I think was the only thing gluing all of my pieces together inside because it felt structured and it was holding me, literally standing on that stage. But I think the first time that I felt seen, I'm not sure. Mm. I don't think I could put a mark on one specific moment. And I hope that it has happened over time and I'm less observed mm-hmm. and more part of the furniture. Tell me what happened after Voices. It was such a, I mean, for anyone who was lucky enough to be in that room, there was something that shifted in terms of people's, maybe their observation or perception or their mindset. I felt that that day. Mm-hmm. But how did it feel for you, and what happened after? I felt like we definitely moved from a moment of a lack of awareness to awareness. And I think what's really important to acknowledge is that, you know, the Americans with Disabilities Act, which is often considered the most forthcoming legislation surrounding disability, is only 31 years old. I'm 30. Now, disability legislation and advocacy existed before then, but for so many Disability is something that happens out there. It's not part of us. And that's because we have literally designed societies and populations to create that. It's not too long ago we took disabled people out of our homes and our communities and we institutionalized them because they were a burden. And we talked about them with sympathy and we talked about them, not to them. And very quickly we have had to move from a medical model to a disability rights and justice model where we're talking about equity of access and employment and accessibility in a digital and physical way. And for so many people, they haven't done the reading in that time. They haven't had to. They haven't been exposed to it. And for me, afterwards, I felt vulnerable because I had exposed myself Mm -hmm. personally, but also professionally. I had just told the industry I knew what they needed to do. Did I? I had no idea. I had some sense. And what happened afterwards was more and more conversations initially with individuals, then with brands and companies. It was appearing on stages with microphone in my hand, going to fashion shows. It was getting my body cast, being part of the Body Beautiful exhibition, which was the first time an exhibition around diversity in fashion had ever happened. It was incredible. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Have you ever owned something that inspired you to up your game? 
For me, I got a chef-grade range recently, and now I'm cooking new things every single night. Seriously, no cuisine is off-limits. The point is, when we own exceptional things, they inspire us to do exceptional things. The all-new Lexus GX has an exceptional capability that will have you seeing possibilities you never knew existed. Its advanced technology and luxurious interior mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without. I can picture myself with a car full of groceries, cruising down the highway, soaking up the sun with the available dynamic sky panorama glass roof. Ah, pure bliss. Live up to the all-new Lexus GX. Luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewelry that makes you feel like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. When it comes to style and luxury, eBay gets it. They're making sure the things you love are checked by experts. And not just any experts, specialized experts. Real people who love this stuff, with real, hands-on authentication experience. So when you see that shiny blue check mark that says authenticity guarantee, shop with confidence. Every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is verified authentic through a detailed inspection. That's how you know that eBay's got your back. Because when you finally step into those sneakers, put on that watch, get your real gold glow up, swing that handbag over your shoulder, or step out in that streetwear, you'll realize that feeling is unlike any other. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. There's also photo shoots. Yes. I want to talk to you a bit about that photo shoot we did with Tim Walker, which will go down as one of the most memorable and special moments of my entire life. There was something... What was what was that like? For, I mean, you've gone on and done tons of stuff like that since then, yeah. but that was probably your first... one of your first big photo shoots when we yeah. put you on the cover. I had never really been photographed before, and I remember... I think I was either talking to you or emailing you, and you kind of said really flippantly, oh, we've reached out to Tim Walker's team, and I was like, sorry? What? And you're like, he's considering it. And I think I said to you really childishly at the time, listen, if Tim Walker has an email with my name in it, I'm good. Yeah. Like, doesn't matter what happens next. Perfect. Yeah. I have grown up with his imagery. I mean, I will never forget that beautiful image of the woman with the blue ball gown drapes oh, over yeah. the stairs. Mm-hmm. It's one of those photos that it's kind of part of your skin if you're interested in fashion. How Tim's work has evolved is that my understanding of it is that, you know, whether he's photographing Beth Ditto or if he's photographing a type of person or body that we're not used to in the fashion system, the lens always feels equitable. It never feels observing. It never feels judgmental. It feels empowering. And I had great hope working with him would be similar. And the first shots that we did were the close-up with the now almost iconic blue eyeshadow and the spiral curls on my face. And I remember Tim saying, getting your photograph taken is terrifying. It is one of the scariest things a person can do. So I'm going to kick everybody out. It's just going to be you and me. We're going to get the shot. We're going to get comfortable with one another. And then we'll bring everybody back in. 
And I was like, okay, sure. And he did. And he was probably three inches from my face getting that photo. But it, it felt respectful. It felt encouraging. And those photos are some of the things I'm most proud of. So you're thrust into this spotlight. Mm. People start to see you. And this industry that was once really far away from your world and didn't really engage with someone like you was all of a sudden interested in you. Mm. And you had to figure out what you were going to do with that opportunity. And over the years, you and I had some pretty honest conversations about that. And, you know, you took different paths. Mm. How did you navigate that? Because it, it, I think uh, my sense is that you struggled a bit with it at the beginning. I think it's always challenging. You're in this moment where, particularly socially, we have been through a broad international conversation around the importance of inclusion, diversity, equity and access. It was almost, in some ways, right place, right time. Mm -hmm. But as an individual within a system, you're trying to figure out your place in it, but also what change looks like. And in some moments, visibility and representation are enough. You know, if I think back to 15-year-old me and what it would have meant to have seen somebody like me on the cover of a magazine, I mean, I actually think it would have changed my life didn't exist and still so rarely happens now and it's easy for me to sit here and go yeah that was great but it wasn't enough it's easy for me to say that now when I understand how the system functions and how it can be changed and being able to visibly see change that happens as more than me that doesn't discredit how proud I was of those things appearing at fashion shows getting to be in those spaces because that was a definition of success but I think in many ways the past couple of years have made us all reflect. Whether that is looking at the work that has been needed to undertake after George Floyd's passing, whether that's thinking about the pandemic. You know, over the past four years, I've been in and out of Ireland, traveling for meetings and engagements. And it was experiences that I will never erase and even sometimes find hard to fathom. But the pandemic gave us all a moment to reflect. The pandemic has affected disabled people more than any other population. In the US and the UK, the healthcare systems had this triangulation where if you were considered too vulnerable and got COVID, you weren't worth saving. That if you were disabled and came in with a ventilator, that if you got sick in that hospital, they could take that ventilator from you and give it to somebody less disabled because of their likelihood to survive. We reverted back into the medical model where news bulletins didn't have sign language interpreters on it, nor closed captioning. And I really believe that the fashion industry is a powerful industry. But when that is happening globally, you cannot help but begin to question, what is change? What does it look like? How can it be more than me? And did the system change? Or did it change for me? I think in some ways it did change. Those changes are probably not as measurable as I would like. It matters that there was a footstool on the front row, but it would matter more if there were more footstools on the front row, or if the person designing was disabled, or if there was an internship scheme where there was creating new pipeline for different types of talent. And really, it has made me reflect on, okay, what are the skills that I have? 
What are the tools that people I know around me use? If I had to map my network and my access, what does it look like? How can I utilize that? Not for me, but to ensure that whatever gatekeeping exists within the industry is no longer acceptable, specifically, but not just for disability. And in many ways, that's what started the creation of Tilting the Lens, in the hope that it could be a call to action, as well as the name of the company, and began dissecting, okay, where are the places in which there needs to be change? Because I also think it's really important that we talk to, in the past five years, that whilst visibility of disabled people has increased, what has also increased is the availability of product. What we have seen is several designers creating adaptive capsule collections. This is really brilliant. Mm -hmm. But it's also not my definition of success. What is your definition of success? We need every collection to be adaptive. Because if we only ever create it as a capsule, we are othering people in our attempt to be inclusive. Because we are saying, you get that piece. Because we need to check if it's viable first. And we're going to put it in the back of the store, probably with a huge sign that says adaptive. And that doesn't feel like there were disabled people as part of the conversation. I think we are still in places designing for disabled people rather than designing with them. In some ways, we're doing focus groups and co-design, but we really need to build on that in a meaningful way. But if we're only ever focused on the business case of disability, which I too feed into because it convinces people, when people realize the spending power that exists in a capitalist fashion system, they're like, wow, how can I get involved? And it is important that we treat this as a serious business opportunity. But we must also reflect on the fact that globally, 50 to 70% of disabled people are unemployed. We cannot uplift one whilst not uplifting the other. So really, five years ago, Imran, if you'd asked me what success was, I would have said the availability of clothes. I would have said to be able to go into a store to pick up something that I could put on independently by leave wearing. My vision has widened. I really do think the availability of product is important, but not yet, not now. Because I think it's more important that we are hiring disabled people within these companies. Because that makes the learning much more intentional and meaningful throughout the process. But how are we hiring disabled people in a fashion system where most of our positions for employability are in retail? By attempting to hire disabled people, it gives us a mandate to ask about our accessibility in store. Most of luxury fashion is in protected historic buildings in Paris, Milan, London, New York, Shanghai, which automatically means the type of person that you can employ in a space like that is limited. Our lack of inclusion in every aspect of this business has meant that our only solution is product. So I'm hoping that we can re-architect that in a meaningful way. And what that means is that if we have disabled people in the room, change has to happen because not just one or five people across the whole industry is responsible or accountable for it, but it's part of who we are. And a lot of what we're going to be talking about today is the sense of belonging. Mm -hmm. How can you foster that if the people that you're serving and catering for don't belong in the day-to-day of your work? That's what I want to change. And it's our responsibility to ask questions. There are two questions that I'm always empowered by asking. The first, is this accessible? In a multifaceted definition of accessibility, 
and the second being who's not in the room. So whilst in some echelons of systems, greater diversity has been achieved, it still doesn't reflect the world. There are still so many identities and communities that are marginalised publicly, privately. And fashion being a tool for culture has the power to change how society views people. So we are still not doing enough. So what can we do for the communities that we potentially represent and how can we create space for those who still are yet to be included? What we wear says a lot about who we are. Yet fashion is also a $2.5 trillion global industry that touches everyone on Earth. I'm Imran Ahmed. I first started trying to make sense of the business of fashion 15 years ago, as it was being transformed by technology, globalization, and shifting consumer values. Now I'm on a journey to see how fashion is recalibrating after the pandemic to balance profit with purpose. This is the Business of Fashion show. Join me to discover how fashion shapes business, culture, and identity, and to meet the people forging fashion's future. Have you ever owned something that inspired you to up your game? For me, I got a chef-grade range recently, and now I'm cooking new things every single night. Seriously, no cuisine is off-limits. The point is, when we own exceptional things, they inspire us to do exceptional things. The all-new Lexus GX has an exceptional capability that will have you seeing possibilities you never knew existed. Its advanced technology and luxurious interior mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without. I can picture myself with a car full of groceries, cruising down the highway, soaking up the sun with the available dynamic sky panorama glass roof. Ah, pure bliss. Live up to the all-new Lexus GX. Luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer.